Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Oh, sure, let's clap. I'm with you, yes. Someone's excited. Good to see everybody here. And it's really, really great um, to see people enjoying one another and, and uh, connecting together and loving on one another and um, welcoming one another. Uh, in the early days of Providence, uh, we would, if we were really excited about somebody that was visiting or something, we'd, we'd give them a piggyback ride. Do you, anybody remember that in those days? Somebody, we wore pajamas to church, we gave piggyback rides. It was awesome. And so I just feel like as we're talking about re, rebuild, we need to go back to that. It's the kind of, no, it's just... Anyway, my name's Nathan. I'm, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Providence. I just want to say uh, hello to everybody. I couldn't uh, help but feeling the, uh, the heart and affections of God as I was looking out during that time, just looking out and just feeling like uh, if you're here today, God really wants you and he likes you and he wants to change your life today. I just was really feeling that. He wants to meet you today. Um, some people that feel very far off uh, from God can find that it does not depend on your ability to get to God. It depends on his ability to get to you. And he has paid every price to get to you today. So today could be a real day of, of God showing up and encountering you and you, him, in your life today. And so I just want to speak that, all right? We are starting a series today called Rebuild. Did you hear that? Um, this, was, this was a series that's been on my heart for months now. It's been one that's kind of been cooking in my heart. Um, I actually started uh, reading the book of Nehemiah months ago, and I was so impacted by uh, Nehemiah that I started a journal just on that book and just on that man, which spread into lots of other uh, leaders and read, readings of Old Testament leaders uh, that actually brought revival and reformation to God's people. And so I believe that God wants to do something. He, he wants to, when he looks at the church and he went, uh, that is broken, and when, when he looks at families that are broken, and when he looks at lives and businesses that are broken, he does not get ticked. He does not get angry. When God looks at the brokenness in the church and the brokenness in lives, okay, he, he, gets, he is hurt and he wants to come running. Do you hear this? So when we're talking about rebuild, I, I'm not going to be uh, projecting a bunch of anger and here's all the ways that I feel the church has lost it and we need to change. Like th- there's enough of that. In fact, I want to give fair warning that, that God is coming after anger that we, that we have been protecting and spiritualizing. And he's coming after that. That is not, you don't pioneer God's bride, all right? You don't lead God's bride with anger, and God's coming after that. He will not let you have that anymore. Ang- angry husbands, angry pastors, angry leaders, trying to get people to do what you want by scaring them, that is not... The, that is not kingdom leadership, and it's unacceptable anymore. And God is happily inviting us into something way better than anger, and that's joy, okay? Um, there's, it's, uh, and I really believe that, that God is no longer allowing the church, to, to le- the church as a whole to lead and pioneer with, uh, with anger. So angry posts uh, on, on social, just saying, this isn't blah, blah, and then spiritualizing that. That is never, show me one place in the Bible where Jesus led with anything but tears and love, all right? So the other thing is this, that, uh, that this anger and this type of leadership has uh, masqueraded as holiness in the church for way too long, and these are days where that's gonna be brought down. 
And we're actually going to see leaders in the church and, and moms and dads in the church actually rise up that actually look like Jesus to the world and to the body. All right, that's what this series is about. Um, what happens when you lead with anger and when you lead with your frustration and really you just want to see something change, not because you're in tune with the Father's heart, but because it just bothers you. And then you lead after that out of your own botheredness and you try to quote unquote rebuild. All right, what, what we do is we create a sub a subculture that's miffed. You know what that is? That's like, that's like you have to know street language. You know what miffed means, all right? But you create a, sub, uh, a subculture that's, that's miffed at the world. And the world is really good at sniffing miffedness, all right? And, so, and this, is, this is not, so the world comes and we're, that we say that we want to reach people because Jesus loves them so much, but we're, we're really angry at what they're doing and how they're living and the decisions they're thinking, the beliefs that they have. And so they, they, they smell our miffedness, our frustration towards them, and it creates something that the, the church was never supposed to smell like that, it's supposed to smell like Jesus and sacrifice, all right? So I just want to say that that is what, that is what this series, Rebuild, uh, is on. Over the last few months, God has been pointing out these areas. Listen to this. I have failed miserably in this area. I'm not talking about as someone like way high up saying, hey, guys, like you've got to be like I am. Like I'm in it with you. But this is a season where God has led me through something, and I want to give it away for free, all right? So over these last few months, I've had significant encounters with God around the topic of rebuilding. Now, I am naturally a dreamer. I love to look 25 years down the line and just dream with God, God dreams. The rebuilding is not a great topic for a dreamer because it means that something in our lives, something in our family, something in our world, something in the church that was built or was dreamed at one time has somehow crumbled, okay? That's what, when we're talking about rebuilding, we're talking about something that once was but has now crumbled to the ground in some capacity and now needs to be built back now needs to be rebuilt in some way, and now needs, needs, needs to be not just what it was, but it, it needs to be God's dream this time. The many times dreams that we dream because we're frustrated crumble easily, all right? They weren't built on a foundation of the Father's heart. And so as God is taking me through this rebuild concept, uh, it wasn't that exciting for me until it became very exciting, until I got to see the actual, the biblical reality of how important rebuilding is. Not just dreaming, but rebuilding. Uh, how many know that, that life is, is like this? You dream, you do something, you try, you fail. And many of us, our greatest fear is failure. I, I, I don't want to build something and fail, and so we don't dream at all. But God, part of the process is you dream, and then it fails, and then God rebuilds you, all right? And so some of us, we need to, in this Rebuild series, we need to get back dreams that we've shelved and they need to be revived, but they need to be now partnered with God and not anger. You see this? All right? So not everything we set out to build succeeds, and that's actually a good thing. Can you imagine? Anybody have kids here? You know all the dreams that they have? Imagine if they were able to build those dreams, right? They would be, it would be a circus, right? And part of the kingdom process is this, dreams dying so they can be resurrected as God's dreams, all right? So when we're talking about 
When we're talking about rebuilding, this is what we're talking about. God, how do we actually partner our dreams that may or may not have been uh, pure to begin with? They may or may not have crumbled to the ground. Maybe they actually need to be terminated and leveled, and so, God, you can resurrect them. But we're not going to do it out of anger. We're not going to do it out of frustration. We're actually going to do it in a way that's consistent with the heart of God. Are you catching what I'm cooking? Anybody? All right. <laughs> Do you know that our address here at, uh, at Providence is uh, 6146 York Road? You know this? And so uh, Isaiah 61, 4 through 6 has become extremely important to us. Do you know what Isaiah 61, 4 through 6 says? It says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. You hear this? So I really believe that this is, this is important to me because not just as individuals, God's not just calling us to rebuild as individuals in our lives, but he's calling us specifically as Providence community to actually be rebuilders in this world. I, I believe that there's a mark and a mandate on not just the church, though there is, but a specifically on this house, Providence Church, that God is calling us to be rebuilders, not perfect, okay? Not perfect, but people committed to rebuilding. There's, we are marked, we're, we're seeing that when we see devastation, we are not going to get angry and complain, okay? When we see devastation, we're gonna be committed to, to rebuilding and seeing it uh, a, turn into a God dream. What once was dead, being resurrected to what, uh, what God's original intent for that thing. So when we're talking, about, uh, we're talking about people being rebuilt, we're talking about churches being rebuilt. Don't you want Providence to be a blessing to the big C church in this region and in this world? Don't you want that? I, I gotta tell you this, uh, I, I haven't been standing here for the last two weeks, um, partly because uh, I, I've, been, I've been around, I've been traveling much more lately, and two weeks ago, Steve S. Palmer and I were at Refresh Church in Cape Coral, Florida. We didn't get to hit the beach for more than, I don't know, three hours, so it was, it was horrible. Uh, but uh, we actually got to minister at Refresh Church, which is my dad's church, and God is doing great things in Cape Coral, Florida. Do you know that? And then I get on the phone with, uh, with Mark Stockland at the Haiti Bible Mission, where, where Haiti Bible Mission oversees multiple churches in Haiti, and it's hard there, but God is doing great things there. Don't you know that God wants to rebuild churches and ministries all over the world? And I want us to be a church that is so committed to seeing the move of God, not just here, but there, but so healthy here that we can impact there. Come on, anybody. All right. So, so the, the church needs to be known for this. And we need to be known for uh, not, not for breaking, but building. Not for complaining, but for solutions. Hello? Where is a church that out of love offers solutions for free instead of unwanted complaining constantly? Where's a church like that that provides free solutions and the man and woman power to do it? Come on. Here's the free volunteers to rebuild your world. I think the world would be different if the church was postured like this. We will not be motivated by anger and complaints anymore. So as I told you, my first instinct is to, is to dream. And I would love to talk about how do we do this and the dream. I would kind of like to get to the plan and maybe some steps. What could this look like? I'd like to paint a picture. I'd like to dream with you this morning. But rebuilding does actually, it actually does not start with a dream. Okay, now here's where I'm going. Rebuilding does not start with a dream. We do have a core value at this church that says we dream with God. 
In other words, we, God, we wanna know what's on your heart and we wanna partner with your heart. We, we wanna walk in God dreams. We don't just wanna be a dreaming church, we wanna be a God dreaming church, right? We wanna know your heart. But what, what, uh, what will sabotage a church that is committed to dreaming with God is what I'm about to talk about this morning. It's, the, it's foundational to dreaming. To, this morning I wanna talk about before the dream. What must happen before the dream? And so I wanna invite you to grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah. Um, I've got so much here, guys, but I, I actually am just narrowing it down um, to like one or two things this morning. And we will, we will dig as much as we can um, into this book and others as we go through this series. But turn to the book of Nehemiah um, if you actually have hard, hard copies, right? If you have digital stuff, it's way easier to get to Nehemiah. Uh, looks like you're always in the Word. You just pull it up like that, you know, so. But um, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, and I want to put this in context as you're trying to find it, that here's the context of the book of Nehemiah, uh, that Israel is in exile in Persia, Okay? Um, so Israel has been, uh, the, the finest of all the Jewish people have been carried off to Persia. A few exiles remain in Jerusalem. Um, Nehemiah is one of these amazing people, amazing leaders that has been carried uh, off to Persia to now, uh, he's now serving wine to King Artaxerxes, okay? And so he is serving the king in this capacity. He's very faithful. He's actually uh, trusted by the king, as, as you can see if you read this. But, but uh, what has gotten the people of Israel that have multiple covenant promises from God to the place that they're no longer at the place that God gave them by covenant and by promise? Now they've actually been invaded and defeated and carried off. What has gotten them to this uh, place is this, this repetitious cycle of repenting and turning to God and then quickly forgetting him and having other loves, having other lovers. The, all of the small gods of the, of the nations around them uh, are, just, are just so intriguing and enticing to the people of God that God's people constantly go after other gods and then God comes and has to shake them back into the reality of there is no one more holy that means more happy and more wonderful than me. And I want you for myself, and I made you for me, not for Baal or not for uh, all the other little lovers that Israel was going after. And so sometimes Israel would welcome these hard times on themselves, and they'd just be carried into exile. And God's like, okay, fine, you can, you can have what you wanted. You wanted the small life? Let's see what that gets you, okay? And actually, these are beautiful, actually, the enemy means what the enemy means for bad, God actually uses these bad things as doors back to his heart, okay? So that is the context that we're finding in, in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is carried off along with a lot of other uh, people of Israel to uh, Persia, and there's a small remnant still in Jerusalem, and, uh, and so, so that is what's happening. Now, Nehemiah's heart never leaves the remnant of people. It never leaves his people in Israel and Jerusalem, and he is very concerned about what's going on, and that's where we pick it up here in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting with the first one. It says this, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev. Chislev is probably November or December, somewhere around there, okay? In the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Han and I, one of my brothers, 
came with certain men from Judah. Now, Hanani, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is one of uh, Nehemiah's blood brothers. It just means it's one of his people. So this is, this is deep ingrained, actually a biblical kingdom understanding of community. There's somebody, this is my people, somebody that's, that's uh, adopted into the, the family of God, my brother, all right? So this is Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and Judah is where Jerusalem is, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So basically, uh, Nehemiah is concerned. You see that? He asked them concerning. That means that he's concerned about how are our people doing that did not get exiled into Persia? How are our people doing that remain in Jerusalem? How are they? I want a good word. Tell me that they're flourishing. Tell me that they have rebuilt. Tell me that they're, they're doing wonderful. Tell me that they're following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, please. But that is actually not the news. Look at verse three. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Okay, so here's the thing. We've got to concern Nehemiah. He's gone through a traumatized existence. His people have been defeated. He's been carried off. He's still concerned about the covenant people of God, that the remnant that is staying in Jerusalem, all right? He hears that they're actually not doing well, that they are actually in great trouble, that they're actually in shame, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and his gates are destroyed by fire. This is not good news, is it? Nehemiah is concerned for his people when you hear that, hey, the, the city is destroyed, all the protection of the walls gone, gates burned by fire. I want to ask uh, for a moment, if the gates were burned by fire, do you think it's, it's people burned their own gates? Or do you think that it's outside forces burn the gate, right? So these, it, Nehemiah is smart enough to know that if the gates are burned, this wasn't us hurting ourselves. This was people on the outside opposing God's people, burning our gates, breaking down our walls, and actually bringing opposition to the people of God. And Nehemiah is so tired of this. He's been living in this for about 20 years. He's so tired of this. He's so tired of seeing his people mistreated. He's so tired of walls that are broken down. He's so tired of gates that are burned. This, this means he's so tired of hearing that the people that he loved are attacked and mistreated. He's so tired of this. Imagine that you're on a trip and you make a call and you hear that, um, and you hear that your family is crying on the other end. Say someone broke into our house and they, they burned it down. They mistreated us. Now let me ask you as a, as a good father and a good husband, all right, well, which I, I aspire to be by the grace of Jesus. I would be angry and I, here would be my first question, who did this? Who did, who broke into the house and burned it to the ground? Who did this? Can you spell that? Do you have their social? I wanna know everything you know about this heathen, ungodly lunatic here. I'm gonna hunt him down, I'm gonna find him for you. You're gonna feel better, all right? But interestingly enough, this is not how Nehemiah operates. See, his dream, when he hears that his people are not doing well, his dream is not reaction and retaliation and revenge. Do you hear this? He does not react in a way that gives vent, full vent to his frustration and anger. He does not begin to make plans on how he will retaliate and hunt down the people who burn the gates. 
He does not begin to wrap a dream around revenge and justice. This is, this is how we naturally dream when something like this happens. It, almost any movie that you watch, all right? One of my favorite movies is The Count of Monte Cristo. Come on. Jesus is all through that thing, right? But this guy wraps a dream around revenge. So many like, and we get excited when somebody is mistreated in a movie and they begin to train secretly, like in jail or prison or something. And you begin to, you know, you let them out and they begin to hunt down the people that hurt them or their family or their kids or whatever. You're just like, yes, this, this feels holy. This is holy war. This is how the church needs to be acting. This is what we need to be doing. Yeah, learn to shoot, learn to fight, learn to connive, learn to get back at these heathens, all right? The, the, the church has always done this. This is called the Crusades. And like what, what we celebrate today is we're crusaders. We're, it's, it's a holy war. Tell me one time where Jesus told us to operate in that kind of way. React, retaliate, have wrap your dreams around revenge. Begin to hunt down the people that hurt you and those that you loved. Let's, let's ride to the Holy Land and take it back by force and let's convert people by sword point. If you know anything about church history, the church has done this really well. They've never stopped. It still happens today. So these are dreams, these are dreams that, that would be motivated by, by anger. And I wanna tell you that one of God's best leaders and all throughout history had the, every right to dream like that and to plan like that and to do that, but he did, most certainly did not. I want you to take real good biblical weight on this one. Nehemiah did not wrap his life around retaliation. He wrapped it around something altogether different, and we see that in the way that Nehemiah responded. When he hears that the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, when he hears that his people who are in great trouble and shame, when he hears that the gates are destroyed by fire, look at verse four, here's how Nehemiah responds and reacts. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Just let that sit for a second. Our dreams are quickly, change it, fix it, that's dumb, that's stupid, I could do better. Uh, give it to me, I'll lead it, ugh. And we've got, we've got, a, group, we've got a group of people, and, then, and that, those type of frustrated, angst-ridden people, they actually produce results, and they can maybe score points on a team, but they're actually horrible kingdom leaders because they do not represent the heart of Jesus. But we, since they produce results, and since the church has been trained by Harvard, we say, yes, you're doing it. Let's get behind that leader. The leaders that God is looking for in the church are this, when they hear about painful circumstances, their hearts first break. Tears flood their eyes. Because they're not people that, that have their hearts insulated, they're strong men and women that, have, that are actually engaged in a godly way, holistic way, with their hearts. And they know how to feel with God. And they know, God, if it's breaking your heart, I'm not gonna get angry, I'm gonna be broken with you. God, if, if this is what's going on, these, these are my people. And before I resort first to anger, I am going to weep. I'm gonna sit down. I'm not gonna to run to Jerusalem on a, on a vengeance tear. 
I'm going to sit down and stop and weep and mourn, and I'm going to do it for days. I mean, like, well, like a morning, like sitting down and staining the, the floor with our tears is wonderful. But sometimes, it's, it's, sometimes that's not all it takes. Sometimes we need to develop a life that is in rhythm with, with, with this. A life that says, God, I first want to be in tune with your heart. God, first, I want to fast and pray before I make any decisions. God, I first want to feel like you feel and see like you see and, and know what you want me to do in this situation before I react and respond in any kind of naturally frustrating way. Nehemiah's response shows what must happen in the hearts of God's people before they dream. And this, man, I've been, I've been doing this gig for a long time now. I, I've, been, I've been a pastor for, I know that I look young, all right? And I, I am younger than some, all right? Uh, but uh, I've been doing this for uh, pushing 24 years, all right? I, I got my, I, got, I was, became a youth pastor at 19 years old. Way too soon. Never should have happened, but it happened, all right? I'm 43 now. And so I've been around this a, a long, long time, and I've seen way more than not that the people that are leading in the church are the angry ones that want to see change because they're frustrated. I almost never see people that are broken with tears in their eyes leading from that posture. Almost never. Almost never. I, I want to try to see if I get another sneeze there. I, I, that was working, right? <laughs> it's like, man, is, it, is something spiritual attached to this? This is good. Hey, can I say it this way? Before there is a dream... Biblically speaking, from a kingdom uh, perspective, before there is a dream, there's a burden. You hear this? Not anger, a burden. Not, 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 a, not, not a, I'm ticked off and I gotta do something. Not, not holy discontent. I mean, holy tears. Before you change people, you cry over people. Before you fix people, you mourn for people. Before you develop a plan, you hit your knees. Before you go off in all of your stuff, you sit with Jesus. That is what dreams, that is what God dreams are built on. Like many of us, we've dreamt dreams and we're like, God, you don't work. I did this and I, you never got behind it. We never got behind it because you were always in front of him. You just ran right off and you asked him to bless your plans. That's not how it works. You've got to sit with God for a while and feel his heart and let his heart manifest in your eyes and your heart. Do you know that when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem and he, he gets a glimpse of this city that he knows is about to crucify him? Do you know what he does? Is he doesn't get angry at people. He weeps over the city. This is how Jesus leads he weeps over the city that is about to reject him. He's not, he's not angry, he's broken. He's like, you know what I want to do with you all? Is I wanna gather you in like a hen gathers her chicks. That's, that's the heart of Jesus. I'm, it, you know, it's, it's not a big leopard, all right? It's a chicken. <laughs> it's a chicken with chicks. I, wanna, I want to keep you in here like this. That's what I wanna do, but you wouldn't have it. And so now you're gonna have to walk in what you wanted. That the kingdom of heaven is about desire, not just heartless obedience. You get what you want. And before there's a dream, before many times we don't want God's dream, we want ours. And we want God to bless it and make it happen. And we actually get angry at him when it fails. 
God's dreams, listen to this, my friends. God's dreams are not driven by anger. They are not. Much of leadership in the church, I've said this so many times, I can't stop, is a bunch of bitter, angry people driven by frustrations, operating in their pain, operating in their anger, never knowing a discipleship process that actually pursues healing. We know discipleship processes that send you to classes that pursue knowledge, but we don't actually know a discipleship process that pursues healing. So, so you, you're in touch with your heart. You're leading from your heart that God has healed and mended like, like, in the heavenly ways. We don't know this. And that's why you hear about soul care around here. That is, that is discipleship, guys. Listen to this. Listen to this. How many of us came from a, a tradition that it's like maybe you had, you were, had the potential to be a, uh, a professional pitcher in baseball, all right? But you have a broken arm, all right? That we come from traditions or a discipleship understanding that will get the person with the broken arm that has potential in the classroom and just teach them and teach them and teach them and teach them and teach them until they know a lot. But you can know everything about pitching a baseball, but if your arm is still broken, you can't activate your knowledge. You see? In order to activate your knowledge, you have to be healed. And I'm telling you guys that we have angry leaders because we don't have a discipleship understanding that first prioritizes the healing of people's lives and then we teach them. God's dreams are not big and driven by anger and discipleship is not driven by anger or information. How many angry people do you know that know a whole lot of stuff? If you don't have a healed heart, angry people just get more angry about all the information that they think they know, right? And you're not dreaming God dreams that way. Much of, we call, much of what we call dreaming today is actually just an attempt to be validated. It's an attempt to be vindicated. It's an attempt to fix something that frustrates me. It's not a God dream, it's a me dream. Much of what we call dreaming is an attempt to just prove that I am right or that me and my little dumb subculture are correct. It is, it is not God dreams. God dreams reek of purity. They reek of his heart. There's not miffedness around them. There's not weird stuff around them, guys. And this gets very, very practical. Let me tell you a story. You wanna hear a story? I took my son Ethan and his friend Jackson to the, the Duke-Virginia game on Wednesday night. Anybody watch that? All right, anybody? My mom did. Anybody else besides my mom? Like, okay, so this might not work. Uh, but uh, anyway, if you watched it, um, we, we were there for most of the time, all right? But what happened was I got the tickets, I got them off of SeatGeek, SeatGeek didn't, you know, they, they gave me my tickets, they transferred, you know, the University of Virginia, you know, then I had to work with them and they actually sent me the tickets. I read down through all the information because it's about three and a half, four hours away. Wanted to make sure I had all that I needed. I had all that I needed. So the ticket to John Paul Jones, you know, arena said, we get there and we are all excited. We get there an hour early because I wanted to take my son and his friend to actually get down on the court maybe and get some pictures with some like division one Duke guys and maybe even coach K. All right. <laughs> Let's do that. I would just feel like the dad, you know, it's all about me. You know, it's my it's a dad dream. So, but now I wanted to bless my son that way. So we get there, but they wouldn't let us in. I said, I've got the things right here. They said, you have to have either a, a vax card 
or a doctor's note within seven days proving that you don't have COVID. I was like, I was like, uh, well, I never knew that. I was like, whether you know it or not, isn't on us. You know, they're, they're very kind. These, these Virginians were so sweet, all right? They were just, they, they saw me and the two boys and stuff were all excited. We drove four hours, we got a hotel, right? And I remember just being really frustrated and this could go a lot of political directions and stuff like that. For me, it wasn't that. For me, it was, I have a dream of just taking my son to see Duke. I just want, I just want to get in. Like we, we actually, our, our, our seats were nosebleeders, very top, all right? I just want to be in the arena. I just want to be there, all right? I made, made all kinds of sacrifices to get, get here. And I remember um, when I was about to give up, the first two people that I talked to, they just said, hey, it's policy, you can't get in. I'm sorry, I pulled up, I said, this is what it said. It never said anything about this. This isn't right, this is wrong. Starting to get a little frustrated, starting to also just wanna give up and just go back to our comfy hotel and watch the game from the couch, right? And say, well, we're, we're by UVA. Let's just, let's just make it a blessing. But I remember glancing at my son, I saw the disappointment in his face. And something clicked in my heart as a dad where, where I was caused to fight. But I wasn't caused to fight because I was angry at rules. I wasn't caused to fight because I was frustrated about a lack of clarity and communication. I wasn't caused to fight because I was in agreement or not with some other institution. I was caused to fight because I looked in the face of somebody that I love and something happened in my heart where I says, the devil is stolen enough. I am, out, I am going to do this out of love. I didn't get angry at anyone. I, I, you know, God is my witness. I actually treated everybody with kindness. I thanked them for shafting me. Oh, thank you. You're trying your best. <laughs> yeah, you're doing everything you can. All right, thank you. And I, I decide I'm, 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 I'm going to fight not against something that I disagree with, but I'm going to fight out of love for my boy. Right? And so they handed me, I began to fight, and they handed me to about four or five different people. Finally, I, uh, we got in, but we were supervised, and we made it all the way up to like the ticket thing, and the people there saying, we can't give you a, a refund, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't. I was like, stop telling me what you can't do and tell me what you will do, all right? And they said, well, they said, if you get a rapid test and come back and you have three negative rapid tests, we'll let you in. I said, can you repeat that to me again? You should rapid test. And I look at my son, Ethan's like, we can do that. We can do that. So what, what, what happened? I said, okay, we'll be right back. Now, our truck was parked about a mile away from the stadium, so we have no vehicle, all right? So we got on our phone. We found out that a CVS is 0.9 miles away. And so we began to run in the direction of CVS, all right? <laughs> like hoofing it. And I had just preached on Elijah running ahead of the chariots. <laughs> Whoa, come on. And I just began just, just, just to run, just with a, a heavenly swiftness. That lasted 0.43 seconds. All right, so it's just. And then I began to see my, my son, who is in uh, tip-top premier shape with his friend, 15 years old, tip-top premier shape. I, I began to see them get further and further down. I was just like, just go for it, boys. You can do it. They beat me to CVS. They already find the pharma pharmacist when they get in there. I get in there just like gasping for air, just trying to breathe like this. All right, but they had the, the look on their face again, and when I came up, they looked disappointed and discouraged. The pharmacist says, we don't have any rapid tests. There's no 
rapid test in Charlottesville, you won't find any. So again, we are tempted to be discouraged, but I, I, I have a dream that God's bigger than CVS, all right? And so we decided to go find our truck and drive around. Make a long story short, I, I could make this two hours, but to make a long story short, we're driving by a store that was called Kroger. And I said, I said, boys, run in that store. I don't even know what it is, all right? Run in that store and see if they have anything. Well, I got on the phone with my wife and just said, just pray. This doesn't look like it's working. I feel so ridiculous. The guys come out five minutes later carrying rapid tests, just like, yes, all right? We, we sit in the parking lot. We sit in the parking lot and just jam things in our nostrils. <laughs> you know, <laughs> shaking stuff. And then, I'm, and then doubt is hitting me, saying, what if we get like this freak positive test? I'm like, Jesus, you're bigger than this test. You're bigger than everything. I'm calling down angels, all right? We all three get negative tests. And then we, now we are very far away from the uh, stadium. We park the truck and we begin to run again, all right? Now, uh, it, that was not pretty, okay? I sweated through everything that I had, barely breathe again. Man, I, I burn more calories than I have in years put together. I'm, I'm telling you, it was just, it was, it was so great. We get there, then we can't find the guy who promised us that we can get in with that. We, we've got the rapid test. Who told you you could? Some guy. Oh, that's not going to work around here. The guy comes over. We finally get in. We miss about 10 minutes of the game, but we hike all the way up to the top of the stadium. I'm sweating on an old lady next to me, and it's just awesome, all right? We get to see it. Can, can someone give God some, some praise, right? I remember, I remember looking that, and in the flesh and in the natural, I would have done two things. Number one, I would have given up. I would have said, oh, it's just, it just didn't work out. And I would have also gotten angry, and I would have fought with frustration. But something happens by the providence of God where God allowed me to have this situation because he wants us to take ground, and he wants us to overcome hurdles, and he wants us to break through territory that's never been broken into before. And, and that is what God's calling the church to do. But it's not going to happen by arguments and yelling. It's going to happen out of love. Love for Jesus and love for the people that we're fighting for has to be the motivation of the church's hearts again. We have to rebuild this way or we just are gonna waste our time with dreams. We have to rebuild from this place. We need to look in the eyes of sons and daughters and spiritual moms and dads. We need to look in the eyes of the people who need Jesus and we need our hearts to be compelled to say, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'm gonna pay any price. I'm gonna run any distance out of love for these people. The, the church has to come back to that. We see it, but we definitely do not live it. I remember, I, we've got we've to take this as a calling on our lives now. You, we were actually born for this. This isn't for full-time staff at churches. This needs to be the normal Christian life. Yeah. Yeah. The normal Christian life where all of us have received a call to ministry to be ambassadors on behalf of Christ. So I, I remember... When I received my call to ministry, I was in seventh grade. I was at Creation Fest. We were staying off-site, though, so we drove out of the mayhem of, like, on-site. We drove off-site where we had some tents. I remember we just had a time of seeking God, and I, I remember I got walloped by the Holy Spirit, tears, just, oh, just broken. And I just told the whole group, I said, I've been called to be a pastor. I know it. I know it. They all prayed around me. I was, I was activated into pastoral ministry at like 14 years old by a, a, a group of seventh graders, all right? 
And I, I remember, I remember in, in those days, I was not angry at the church. I was only blessed by the church. And this is after my, my parents went through a divorce and the church like slaughtered us to spiritual death. But I was actually blessed by the church because the church is about Jesus and people are gonna treat you wrong, but Jesus doesn't. This is in a family, you get hurt by your family. That's, I, I knew this as a seventh grader. So I wasn't giving up on the church because of pain. I was actually getting activated in the church to make the church better. And what happened is from that moment on, like I was thinking about being a band teacher, I love music. I was thinking about a lot of different things. What happened from that day on is every other dream of mine was ruined. I had tunnel vision. There was no, I had no other options. I remember like family members would say, well, you might wanna go to, to school to get your undergraduate and something else so you have something to fall back on. I, I was like, I'm not, I'm not falling back on anything. I don't care about money. I care about walking in the calling that God has put on my life. It's, it was, listen, it was easy for the, the front row up here as you're praying about who you date, all right? All right? It was easy for me to know who to date. Easy. Suddenly I was like, I need someone who can run with me in this calling. If you can't do that, I just don't care. I, I literally do not care. I, you know, really, I, I went to my first dance with the person I married. Simple as that, all right? And it's just, everything else is ruined. Whoever's willing to run with me, we're just gonna run in this together. And it hasn't been pretty, and it's actually been, it's been a storm. And there's been massive pain. But I'd never traded in because the call of God is in it. Amen? So somebody's got to start saying this again. You, if you can't say that, pick up Fox's Christian Martyrs of the World and just begin to read people who actually lay down their lives for, for, for Bibles that, that we, we barely crest. <laughs> start, start, start reading about people today in China who are laying down their lives, in Ukraine, who are laying down their lives for Jesus. You know, we, we've, we've got to begin to dream with God on a foundation that's built on love. Now, my question for you here at the, at the end here is, I, I believe that there's a holy invitation. This is a very holy one. And the holy invitation is not what you're going to do, okay? We, we, lead, we tell everybody there's a call in your life, you're gonna do great things. I would rather take a person that's great in the secret place with Jesus than someone that has the capacity to, to do great things. This is not about doing great things. This is about knowing the greatest man ever. This is about being filled with the spirit. This is about being dangerous to darkness. This is about who you are in private is much more important than the great things that you supposedly do, all right? But God is, there's an invitation here to not do great things, but to, to be a great man or woman. To actually answer a call that says, I'm gonna build my life on love. I'm gonna build my life on tears. I'm gonna build my life on running after those who are broken and believing in them, seeing the gold in them, seeing the call of God on their life and dedicating everything I've got to see the kingdom of God rebuilt to my last day with all my breath and all my energy. This has, we have to move back to that. That the world does not know a church that's willing to pay every uh, price, including our lives, for the glory of Jesus. Do you know Jesus is glorified when brokenness is restored? Do you know that? He died for this. All we're doing is we're going after what he purchased here, right? So I, the, the invitation, the holy invitation is move from angry to broken. 
Here's the genuine question this morning. You can laugh at my story and me not being like Elijah, all right? You, you, can, you can even agree with this conceptually. But if you don't take the invitation from God to take all of your anger and rage and bitterness and give it to God and stop operating in it and say, God, instead of anger and curses and frustration, I want tears, fasting, and brokenness. Instead of those things, I'm so sick of being motivated by what ticks me off. I'm so sick of calling that leadership. I'm so sick of calling that anything other than sin. I, I don't want to be motivated by what, by what bothers me. I want to be motivated by the heart of my dad. So we have to move from angry to, bo- to broken, and to do that is, is, is really simple conceptually, uh, but very hard because there's a demonic war. Like, like the enemy wants you to come to church and stay angry. All right? He loves that. He wants you to come to church and sit down and wants you to glance around the room and say, that person hurt me, that person hurt me, that person hurt me, that person hurt me. No forgiveness in your heart. You're staying in your pain. He wants that. It's good for him to have people just riding the fence. But if you release your anger for the gift of tears, your life will change. Do you hear this? If you release your anger for the gift of tears, your life will change. Do you know that the Bible says that tears are healing? You say, why am I crying? Why am I? I'm not even sad. You're crying because you're healing. There's, you have so much pain in your You're not crying because you saw a sad movie. You're crying because, because your heart is being healed. And so we're, we resist healing tears because we don't want to look weird or because we are confused by what's happening. But many times when the Holy Spirit moves, he moves in such a way that you start to heal from the inside out and tears are the manifestation of that. Uh, most of us don't need another lesson. Right? And, and well, I, I, you know, actually most of us do need a lesson. I, I feel like more and more we don't know a thing about the Bible. <laughs> we really we, we need more lessons partnered with tears, partnered with healing partnered with soul care, partnered with being honest about what hurt and then giving it to God and repenting of believing the lies associated with it and our lives would change. You know, Jesus cries over Jerusalem. He doesn't hold their future offense over their heads, all right? So many of us, we've just learned actually, actually our safe place is, you know, we, we remember what that person did to us and, and we actually feel something. It's not the heart of God, but it's, it's something and so we, we feel alive, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, man, they're, oh, yeah. When I'm angry, I, I, I'm an angry old man. I don't know why. <laughs> Many of us are. Listen to this. Psalm 126 says this. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Do you know that what goes in, in kingdom soil before a dream does? Tears. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. What do we sow in the kingdom? We, we, we sow brokenness into the soil of God's heart and we trust him to rebuild us. That's what we do. We don't sow anger and frustration and ticked offness. We don't, we don't sow revenge. We don't sow... So vindication, we, we, Jesus vindicates us at the cross. This has to be a life that's actually built on Jesus. 
He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is just saying you go out, you go out weeping with the heart of God, and you come back with fruit in a harvest. And I just, I'm inviting you all to trade your anger for tears this morning. Trade your anger for tears. In the kingdom, you don't plant anger and you don't plant pain, you plant tears. You hear this? Like some of you, I, I, I think that our pride gets in the way of our tears and some of you wanna cry right now, but you just won't let yourself. I just want this to be a morning where you come to the end of yourself and you let yourself cry out your pain by admitting what happened and let God meet you right there. Some of you, that here's, here's what you need to do. You need to repent of how you've held on to your anger is more precious than, than Jesus. And you need to give all of your anger in every situation to Jesus and trust him to vindicate you and validate you. You can't do it on your own. You see this? Do you know Mary Magdalene? After Jesus cast out seven demons out of this woman and she comes to Jesus sitting at a table with all kinds of Pharisees and stuff. She, was, she so did not care about what Pharisees would think about her anymore. She just cared about Jesus. And do you know what she does to Jesus? She cries on his feet. She wipes his feet with her tears. And this is just, we, if we want to be a biblical church, we have to start entering into this. Anybody with me? Yes. Anybody want this? Yes. All right. You can give the Lord a, a hand clap. That's good. Amen. So let's just do this right now. Let's do this right now. Can you just bow? Let's stand to our feet. And let's just hold our hands out in front of us here like this and, and just receiving posture. But this isn't just receiving posture. This is giving posture. It's like, it's like imagine you're holding all your anger and all your pain right here in your hands and you're offering it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, this morning I've come to the place where I'm not going to let my anger and my pain dictate my life anymore. Just agree with this. Jesus, this morning I come to the place where I wanna, I wanna trust you more than I trust this pain. So this morning I'm holding it with open hands and I'm offering it to you to take. Would you take this pain from me? Would you take this anger from me? And now we pray uh, prayers of repentance. We're sorry for treasuring this. We're sorry for partnering with the lies that this anger will get us a better future. And so this morning, I renounce and repent <clears throat> of a life of anger. And I give it to you, Jesus. And now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would rush in on people. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill people from the, the bottom of their feet to the top of their heads and that you would make them fountains in the kingdom. We just welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come move and take up all the space that that anger used to reside. We pray, God, that for the first time, people would feel love and people would begin to uh, feel your healing touch on their hearts. God, we, just, we ask for this, God. We, we want to be a church, God, that knows what it is to be healed, not just pointed in the right direction in anger. So, God, I just, I just pray this, just right now this morning, God, just pray for deep, deep uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit that you would move in hearts and lives and that you would release people from anger and fill them with love. And so the motive of our heart would be love and joy and we would be the happiest people on the planet laughing in the face of challenge. We bless you, God. We just, we dedicate, we rededicate our whole lives to you. 
God, our whole lives to you, we just lay our lives down. You are the treasure of our lives. We were made for you, not for comfort, not for convenience for you. And so we just, we give you all of our comforts, we give you all of our convenience, and we take up heaven's joy in their place. And we bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 